0: Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Kali, And I'm Jamedra. And we're the hosts of The The Cooler. Cooler. We are back for season number four. That's right. One, two, three, four. And Mm -hmm. because we're extra, we are joined by a very special someone today. He is a civil rights activist, an organizer, an educator, the host of Pod Save the People, a Patagonia model, Mm -hmm. a friend of not only Solange, but also Beyonce. Okay. Okay. Imagine. And the author of a great new book called On the Other Side of Freedom, Welcome to the show, DeRay McKesson. Boom, boom, boom. It's, it's, <laughs> Hello. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to talk to you. And for those who might not have understood that Patagonia reference, and don't keep up with, you know, civil rights struggles in the country you are known as wearing a blue vest for the past four years can you tell us about why you continue to wear this
1: vest you know i'm not a patagonian model this is the sub rumors get started they'll be like deray is sponsored by patagonia <laughs> uh, not true but so i was one of the original protesters in ferguson in what seems like so long ago but august of 2014 and we were in the street for 400 days. It was so so much going on. I'm proud to have been one of the many people uh, who was in the street for a long time that helped the protests spread all across the country as we thought about like what it meant to sort of push back and challenge systems and structures that were literally killing people. We think about the death of Mike Brown and the death of so many people across the country. But... Uh, You know, we were in the street for 400 days, and it got cold really quick. Yeah. And I needed something that I could wear that I would never have to pack, and the vest became just really easy. I continue to wear it because it, like, reminds me that what we went through happened. You know, I think about what it was like in St. Louis when it was illegal to stand still, that if we stood still for more than five seconds, we were arrested. I think about the nights that I hid under my steering wheel— I think about the nights that we ran from tear gas and and rubber bullets and pepper spray. And, you know, you can get a little removed from those actual experiences and like just forget that they happen. Like they become these sort of distant things that you remember. And I just never want to forget that. Like that was so real to me and it changed my life and the lives of so many other people. And the vest keeps me grounded and keeps me whole in that way.
0: A lot of people see the vest and they just think like, oh, it's an accessory. He must like it a lot. But I loved reading in the book about how it's a reminder of freedom being very fragile and a Mm. reminder of all the things that you went through. So speaking of Ferguson, what was going through your mind when you were seeing all this footage on TV and decided, you know what, I have to pick up. I have to go
1: there myself. You know, I spent a career in education, so I taught sixth grade math. Sixth grade is by far the best grade. Like, they are old enough to do really complicated math and young enough to still believe in math magicians, you know? (laughs) So I walk in every day, and I'm like, you're a math magician. They're like, yes! You're like, yes! (laughs) You know, sixth grade was joy. And then I started working, I opened up an after-school center, started working inside of school systems, so I moved to Minneapolis to be the senior director of Human Capital. I led, like, all the hiring, all the staffing for all positions in the district, and I was sitting on my couch on August 16th. It was, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. I saw what was happening on Twitter. I saw what was happening on TV. And on Twitter, it looked like the crazy police or, like, the wild police. And on TV, it looked like the wild protesters. And it was like, what? Mm. What is going on? And I knew they killed a kid, a teenager, Mike Brown. And I was in that moment in my life where it was like, if we make commitments, the commitments have to be living commitments. And so we don't get to just, like, make these commitments that we say but don't live. And I remember being in this moment of, like, I'm committed to kids. Like, that's what I say. And, and literally, I'm sitting on the couch. And it's like, the least I can do is go for the weekend. So I get in the car, drive down hours, end up in the middle of the street. Second night, I'm in St. Louis. is the first night I'm tear gassed. And it was just like... That is so wild and nobody should ever have to experience this. And we're right, you know, like they shouldn't have killed Mike Brown. Like, we are right. And I was like, I'll do whatever I can to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So I quit my job shortly thereafter. And like the rest has been history. DeRay, mm. how
2: old were you when you made that decision in 2014?
1: Ooh, so 29 must have been,
0: 28, 29. Wow. Mm. Just a baby. And a weekend turned into... 400 days in the streets and the longest domestic racial justice protest in the country's history. I feel like people don't think of it in that mm-hmm, way, but yeah. it, it was so important and we're still feeling the impacts of that time that you all spent in the streets.
1: Yeah. People really do think about it like a long weekend. They're like, oh, that, and you're like, what? It was so long, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. so many late nights, like so many people that you have never heard of who were instrumental in keeping the protests alive for that long, you know? Wow.
3: I mean, so I'm from Oakland, California. Whenever I think about civil rights and black liberation, I can't help but think about the Black Panther Party. And so I want to know, like, as you've gone through this journey, and you have become an activist, do you draw inspiration from the Black Panthers? Is that something that's top of mind for you? And then also, do you fear for the current black liberation movement in sort of the way that the Black Panther Party was destabilized, you know, in the end?
1: we we were under no illusion, right, that we didn't discover injustice and we didn't create resistance in August of 2014, right? Like, we knew that. So we drew inspiration from a host of people, from the Freedom Riders to to the Panthers, and everybody in between. Like, we we got it, right? That, like, what we had different was tools, mm-hmm. but what we had in the same is that we all walked into the risk, right? Like, we walked into the risk, we said we know we're right, and we'll take the consequences that come, and, like, that was sort of the through line. We have an opportunity, and we had an opportunity to talk to 100,000 people, 200,000 people at the drop of a hat, and move huge crowds, and do all these things because of the internet in ways that they didn't have before us, but I think one of the things that I continue to take away from the people that came before us, you think about King, you think about Rustin, you think about nash is that they were all focused on how do we change systems and structures in the end, right? Mm-hmm. That programs exist and we should do programs. And I, the Panthers are a great example of like the importance of programs. Always remember that most programs exist because the system didn't figure out how to do it right or wouldn't do it in the first place. Yes. So when you think about the free breakfast program, it was like, kids eat breakfast, And the government's not going to do it, so we're going to do it. With the goal of, like, saying to the government, like, this actually is your responsibility. Like, we pay taxes. Like, this is actually your responsibility. This is a part of a social compact. So it's never lost on me that in the end, we are always trying to change things at the root, like, at the system at the most macro. Mm.
2: I want to ask you about social media, actually, because you have seen and like successfully harnessed its potential as this tool for advocacy and activism and community. And you write in your book that Twitter literally helped to save your life while you were on the streets. But you've also had this weird front row seat to like the worst excesses and abuses of social like your your twitter account got hacked in 2016 and you were targeted with that you know hashtag go home D-Ray campaign after you protested in charleston so i want to know where do you think this beast of social media goes from here like have we irretrievably lost it like is it has it been turned over to the bad actors or are you still hopeful in the in the power of mediums like twitter
1: you know, I forgot all about home <laughs> yeah, that little go-home deray thing.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry was, to remind you. <laughs>
1: was, no, it's funny. I'm like, I forgot. You know, that is actually, Charleston's the only place where somebody, like, to my face was sort of hostile. Like, I'll never forget, we're, we're standing outside of Emmanuel AME, and this guy is like, oh, I know you. And I and I just, and I say hi, like, good to meet you. And he will not shake my hand. And I'm like, what? Like, you you said hi to me. Like, I don't even know you. <sighs> and he was just like, I know you because you're out there. And I was like, okay, here we go.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, I I have seen the best and worst of it. The best is that in no uncertain terms, if we didn't have Twitter in 2014, Missouri would have tried to convince you that we didn't exist. Like, Mm -hmm. hands down, they would have been like, nobody's outside. And and luckily, like, we were able to tell the truth all at the same time Mm -hmm. using the platform. So that was powerful. You know, the first person ever permanently banned from Twitter was banned for trying to raise money to get me killed. I've gotten death threats. You know, movie theaters have been evacuated because of things on Twitter. My phone did get hacked, and, like, that was sort of wild, and they hacked my Twitter. So I've seen both sides of it. You know, I think that what's what's different about Twitter today than before, than four years ago is that people four years ago weren't really trying to get famous on Twitter. They were sort of, like, mm-hmm. the comedians, like the Vine stars and those sort of people. But you just accepted it, and that was a part of that. But it wasn't sort of this widespread thing, whereas now you see people, like, their M.O. is, like, cause controversy, like, say something inflammatory just to get retweets and that does sort of just change the way the tool is being used right now so that is one the second is like i'm actually not convinced we're designed to get as much feedback as those platforms give you know (laughs)
3: like
1: (laughs) it's just a lot of feedback and like you just sometimes it's just too much you know
2: i'm not just blowing smoke like that is genuinely the first time i've thought about that are we as people meant to receive as much like admiration or derision Mm -hmm. as we get on a daily basis not even weekly or monthly daily hourly
1: it's a lot and like what does that mean for the way you think about yourself the way you think about the world like i think it actually just is a lot so you know i don't think that the platforms are imploding i think that it's interesting because people are growing up in real time you know like we're all growing up together on podcasts and in real time on Instagram and on, you know, on Twitter, I think about like their whole kids. They're like families that I've seen grow up on an Instagram story. You know, <laughs> yes. it's like I've never met these kids, but I know that Matthew likes the Dumpster Guy, <laughs> and every Monday he's out there. You know, like that is that sort of that's like an, a different way to be in community with people. I'm hopeful that we're able to figure out like how to pivot this so that we don't get stuck in these awareness cycles, but we actually get stuck in action cycles. Right? That like. You, like, realize something really bad happened. You can turn that into action. You go do something, get an outcome, and then you realize da-da-da. Whereas I worry that, like, so much is happening, especially in the specter of Trump, that people, like, you're just, like, shocked every day. You're like, I didn't even know that happened. Didn't know that happened. I didn't. And, like, that's not a productive place to be stuck in. Yeah.
0: Another trend on social media that's been going on for you know, the past couple years, is that people are very desirous of the term ally. And it's like this kind of performative wokeness thing where everyone's like, look at my safety pin. I want to be part of the cool crowd. But like, what are they actually doing? And you argue that allies really should be aspiring to be accomplices. Can you talk a bit about what differentiates an ally from an accomplice?
1: Yeah, so both love you, right? Allies love you from a distance. Uh, Accomplices love you up close. So there are people who... Like, get it, they're like, injustice is bad. Let us figure out what to do. And, like, that's sort of basic, right? Like, that is a 101, I'm at the party. What accomplices do is say, like, here's actually what I'm willing to put on the line so that we can get to a different sense of justice on the other side of freedom, like, however we want to talk about it. And what you find is that there are people, like, I know a lot of allies who, like, show up to the random rally. They, like, go to the brunch. They're, like, back row at the talk, and then you're like, well, what are you going to do about it? And they're like, uh, what do you mean do? I came here. And you're like, that's not it, right? Like, that is Awareness 101. Or like, I, you know, I'll never forget, I was going to San Francisco once and um, somebody DM me like, are you coming to the protest? And I'm like, what is the protest? Like, what you protest? And she's like, I don't know, but I got my sign. And you're like, how are you going to? You don't even know what you're doing. you just going outside. She's like, that's not it. I took the Instagram,
0: though. Doesn't that count?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, like, the awareness stuff is big. You know, like, I'll never criticize people for telling the truth. That, like, if we had not had the cacophony of, like, people tweeting and being on Instagram and Facebook when we were out there in the street, like, you wouldn't know me or anybody else right now. So, like, telling the truth is hard work. We tell the truth, though, so we can change the condition so we don't have to tell this truth anymore. Mm. And there are people who, like, forget that part of it, that we protest not to protest, but to create space for change. And, like, we, I know protest is not the answer, right? Like, that is is not, protest is not the answer. Protest creates space for the answer, and people forget that part of it.
0: Mm. Is there a public figure that you think is a good example of
1: an accomplice? Hmm, look at you up here being messy. <laughs> Everybody that you don't Well, I could have see. said, who's, who's just an ally? Okay, <laughs> who's
0: getting uh, it wrong?
1: Let me think about that. Beautiful gowns, beautiful gowns.
0: Okay. Great, <laughs> right.
1: right. beautiful gowns. Well, great then, energy out there. There's so much great energy.
3: Well, while you're thinking, I'm going to keep it with the allies and the accomplices, because speaking of allies and accomplices, I am typically, usually, often, the only black woman in a room. And as such, sometimes people like to treat me as the black encyclopedia, meaning that they want to ask me about all Mm -hmm. things black. And so I know that and mad when you don't answer exactly. So I know that you get that. So can you talk a little bit about how you deal with that, and also give some advice to us who have to deal with that all of the time? How can we politely tell coworkers, you know what, I'm not here to educate you?
1: Yeah, I think you know my strategy now is I'm convinced that part of. Part of one of the ways that we on the left need to figure out how to sort of resituate ourselves is like not playing into the game of extremes. That's so much of how the right wins is that everything becomes a polarizing issue and when things become polarizing issues, people dig their heels in and we you don't get to understanding when you dig your heels in. So I try to talk about things as like simply as possible. So I was somewhere recently um, that I had to be and there's a team of people there and one of them was a Trump supporter and one was this guy who his like best friend was a police officer. So we're talking about the police, and da 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 and they have all these questions, and I, you know, I'm in a mood today where it's like, you know, we can I can do this, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not in a, like, please leave me in low mood. But what I'm not going to do is, like, get worked up because you want—you are ready for worked up so you can dismiss the content because of the delivery, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, like, Petrae, are you saying that police should never kill somebody? I say to him, do you have any kids? And he's like, yeah, I have a couple of kids. And I say, well, when should the police kill your kids? Like, hmm. your kids are going to make a mistake one day. Like, what's the mistake that should get them killed? And Mm -hmm. he's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, I don't know either then, right? Like, real chill. Because I'm not, like, that's what you need from me is actually to put the cognitive burden back on you. Got it. Because what you want me to do is give these speeches. And I'm not giving any more speeches, right? Mm Because, like, A, the speeches exhaust me. And, B, they don't even move you. So, like, you just get to say no and I have to come up with some brilliant new argument ten more times. I'm not doing that, right? Mm -hmm. What I can do is, like, set up the question so that, like, you are left with work to do. And I can push you and prod you, but, like, you're doing the cognitive work. I'm not doing that anymore. Does that make sense? It
3: does. See, I'm going to walk around. I'm going to get a shirt that says, shift the cognitive burden. (laughs) And that is just going to be my mantra from here
1: on out. Yeah, so people got all these questions. It's like, I got a question for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, when people paint Ocasio-Cortez as some wild woman, it's like, she said that everybody should eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm -hmm. Tell me where you disagree, right? Like, you explain to me what is wild about everybody should eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, as opposed to me trying to defend her. No, like, you tell me the wild part about it you know like we got to start making the other people do some of the work and we are because we're right we do a lot of the the cognitive work because we're like no you just need to get it it's like tell me how the work requirement helps people like tell me how you would do that you know like tell me how like arkansas i don't know how much you know about the work requirement but in arkansas you have to part of medicaid in some places you have to like prove that you're working to get healthcare. oh yeah in in arkansas you have to like by 9 p.m on a specific day you have to like upload your hours to this website who even knew that websites like had cutoff times but okay. <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh, i want you to tell me like walk me through your day when you will go do this you know mm-hmm. like you get home would you would you then just like not eat dinner turn on the computer and log these hours like no you know this is foolish you know you want me up here to come up with some really world-class Nobel Peace Prize winning argument. I'm not doing that anymore. I want to share the burden. I love it.
0: And part of the burden is bulletin white people, you saying I acknowledge my white privilege is not enough. Um, Not
1: enough. Mm -hmm. You
0: can't just self-congratulate yourself, pat yourself on the back, and then be like,
2: and I'm done, did my bit. And it's just like asking the questions of people, that's not enough as well. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, well, I asked. I asked what someone thought. It's like, no.
0: Okay, I'm going to circle back to the question since you've had a little time to think. If there's any <laughs> oh, public figure, come on! I
1: thought you forgot. Leave <laughs> me alone.
0: No, I have a. I'm like an elephant. I remember everything. Actually, I have early onset Alzheimer's. I forget people's names, but this I don't forget. You know who forget. was a good ally
1: <laughs> that that time? Who was that woman? Lord, I don't even remember her name.
2: I think you might have come to the right place. Huh? We have an encyclopedic who, knowledge of of people's names.
1: Who did the face? Who did the Instagram post? Oh, remember? Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, yeah. there we go. Look at you. you. I didn't even give you a lie and you got that <laughs> one. Mm-hmm. That was go little,
2: ahead. It was so surprising, right? I was like, oh, Anne Hathaway,
3: really? But here's the thing. I don't even know if that's a testament to the fact that there aren't enough allies. The fact that we recall that
0: immediately. <laughs> I
1: know. You know, I'm I up think. here trying, though. Let me, don't call me out now. I'm
0: <laughs> I like that she ended that Instagram post with, and by the way, before you get any ideas, comments are disabled. Mm-hmm. Have a blessed mm-hmm. day.
2: And for those who don't remember, like we're talking about the Instagram post that Anne Hathaway did where she essentially like released a statement on the death of Nia Wilson mm-hmm. in Oakland. Sorry, the murder of Nia Wilson in yes. Oakland. Yeah. Um, saying we cannot ignore this and we all need to realize what is going on. Mm-hmm. And people were like, Anne Hathaway? Is that you, girl?
0: Lame miss? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have canceled
2: her.
3: <laughs> what happened? Yeah. I think she's been formally uncancelled. She's, she's reinstated to this point.
1: Beyond. We like her. It's funny when you said Les Mis, I don't know why I thought about, do you want to build a snowman from Frozen, which is obviously not in Les Musicals
0: Mis. are all the same. Come yeah. on. I don't know if this is a safe space to say this or not, but I went to Frozen on Ice as an adult with no children. But how and why? I needed I just... to see it for myself. I was okay. like, the movie was amazing. Now I want to see real people in snowman costumes. Figure skate.
2: Mm -hmm. Mocks out of ten?
0: It was a solid (laughs) seven point (laughs) seven. So what do you do for self care?
3: Because I am going a little crazy trying to follow and keep up with current events. So I can't imagine how it is for you. So how do you relax? How do you unplug? How do you stay sane?
1: Yeah, it's you know, I'm like a pretty simple in this regard. I need four walls and a door and I'm good. You know, like I spend a lot of time around people that I don't know. And while that is amazing, and I am able to build incredible relationships with people and connections, it is just hard sometimes. So, if I can like reset and just be alone, I'm like pretty solid. I'm a big, I, I listen to a lot of sermons actually. Mm. Like, huh. And not even because I'm deeply religious, but because they're great storytellers. That so, that is
3: true. Anybody who's ever I been to like, a black church knows.
1: Mm-hmm. You're gonna guess, <laughs> I'm like, you bet. You know, it's funny, people ask me where I wrote the book, and literally, there's a sermon. That I was listening to one day called Don't Tell Your Story Too Soon. And I remember being like, okay, where are you going with this? Don't tell your story too soon. Go ahead. I'm listening. And what he says is sometimes you can uh, tell your story so soon all you see is the pain, not the purpose. And I almost threw my phone. I was like, you better go ahead. <laughs> Talk about all you see, that pain, not the purpose. And I was like, you know, if I would written a book two years ago, it would have been a lot of the pain of protest, right? Mm. Which I know well, because I've been in more cities than anybody else. I, you know, had a lot of experiences. But I wanted to think about, like, what the lessons were. And I'm at a point now where I could actually sit back and say, like, okay, oh, here the, here the, here's the purpose. This is why we did it. This is what it means. This is what the Im- impact was. It's loving. funny.
2: What you said about not telling your story too soon, it, it put me in mind of, you know, back to talking about Twitter and social media and how so much of that is the instantaneous reaction. What do you think right now? Don't think about it. Just say it. Tweet it. Like, Instagram's name is literally Insta. Like, it's don't sit with something. Just tell your story right now. And I wonder, is that why we're in so much trouble?
1: It's real. That's Mm -hmm. a real question.
2: I don't know the answer, but feels true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good enough in this climate. Feels true. Truthiness. Exactly. So now we're entering lightning round. Uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> lightning brought to you courtesy of Storm of X-Men, yes. who I know you have a intense oh, look at you. You haven't read the book. Boom, <laughs> yes. go ahead. Yes, I finished it yesterday. Thank you. You can look <laughs> up my review on Goodreads. It, it's, Uh-oh. It's glowing. Yes. It's glowing.
2: That's why it's called Goodreads. Right. You're yeah. like, it was good.
0: Yeah. The only book that I left a bad review on was Andy Cohen's book. Sorry. Really? The Shade. Oof. He is actually, let's not get into it. (laughs) (laughs) It'll take too much time. So, speaking of Storm, what is it about her and the X Men that means so much to you?
1: So I learned so much from them, but when I think about, like, where I learned ethics, it was from the X-Men. It was, like, seeing the way teamwork and good and evil and leadership, like, all of those things came into play. Like, I learned that from the X-Men before I learned it from anywhere else. But Storm specifically was always so fascinating to me because she always, like, showed up first. You know, she was, like, there pretty early. But she never, ever needed the shine. You know, she w- she controlled the elements. Storm could have shut it all down, froze mm-hmm, everybody, mm-hmm. wind, lightning but she would do enough to like create space for other people to do really great work. And like, that was always what I took away from storm is that she would like do enough. So people didn't die. And then income Cyclops or like incomes professor X or income somebody else. And she was like, cool. She's like, I know my role. This is what I do. This is how I lead. And, And, like, I'll never forget that. That, like, changed the way I thought about what it meant to be a leader and, like, what it meant to be strong, right? That, like, there are so many images of what it means to be strong, which is, like, you do all the work and, like, you do... And, like, that just wasn't Storm. And I still carry that with me to this day.
0: And the only thing that can stop Storm is claustrophobia. I don't know if you remember that from the cartoons, Mm, but they like worked in this storyline of like, everything will be going great. Storm has it under control. And then they're like, let's trap her in an elevator or a cave. (laughs) And then she would lose her mind. And then Wolverine would have to come and be like, hey girl, like in the comics, we're gonna hook up. And then it was all good. (laughs)
3: Well, my husband is in education. I'm going to talk to him about having a lesson plan about ethics centered around the X-Men. Seriously? Okay, so when the film is made about Ferguson and Black Lives Matter, because it's coming, in an ideal world, who's going to direct it, living or dead, and who's going to play you, living or dead?
1: Mm. There's so many people, um, you know, if there's a movie, there's so many people that should be in it, without whom there would be no protests. And like I said, I'm proud to have been one of many people. When I think about who uh, you know people like Ava come to mind mm-hmm. people like Lena Waithe right like Lena I think would be interesting Jesse Williams would be a really good executive producer just because he was there you know mm. the hard part about this question is for all of the people I know and love uh, there were so many people that like did, just didn't come you know mm-hmm. so I think I would privilege like anybody who who was there when we were there or like when it was really hard before the protest like that's what makes Jesse Williams stand out Among all of the celebrities, is that he was just there when it wasn't cool. You know, he was there when it wasn't, when it wasn't clear we were going to win, like the public narrative, he was there like in the middle. I remember turning around one night from the with the Ferguson Police Department I turn around and it's like wild and cra- like wild at night and turn around and like I'm like oh that guy looks really who that guy over there because we sort of <laughs> knew everybody like we even if you didn't love each other we'd been on the street for so long together that you just like knew faces you know mm-hmm. and then I'm like who's that guy I don't know that guy who's he and I'm like oh that's that guy right <laughs> and like he was there and like kept coming back and like did it and so those people are the people that, like, I want to be a part of the telling story because, I you know, I just saw a movie recently that has, like, a protest scene in it, and it was so fictional that it, like, hurt my head, you know? It was, like, mm-hmm. so, like, the girl picks up the canister, throws it back at the police, and you're, like, the can- she picks it up like a bottle of spray paint, and it's, like, the canister's are actually scorching hot, you know? Hmm. so the people you see who picked them up had their hands wrapped you know they they didn't like they weren't stupid and it's like that's something you'd know if you lived it and it wasn't this like cool dramatic thing that you just saw you know what I mean Right. so I gotta think more about like who actually came down and saw
3: so we got Ava or Lena directing and Jesse is an EP now who is who is playing you
1: oh I don't <laughs> know lord I have no clue who you, who you tell me just put Idris in there Oh, you, Idris. boom, done. Idris too big. <laughs> Idris, is, <you> know, <laughs> Idris too old. Idris too... I like Idris, but he, you know, we gotta get some uh, some tiny... You know, I weigh like 150 pounds sometimes.
2: <laughs> the vest is gonna need adjusting exactly. for that man.
1: It's like Ferguson yeah. 007.
0: Uh, what about
3: my man from Queen Sugar? Kofi, Sarah Bow?
1: That could work. I love Kofi. Coffee. Yes. Kofi's a good guy. Yeah, you know, he Kofi gonna have to... Make sure he, um, you know, Kofi's so pretty. <laughs> and we was out there looking busted. <laughs> oh, we were. Like some nights, I'm, i I never forget one night we, um, Nana, who I was with so much of the time, she lived relatively far away, like 40-minute drive, which mattered because we would get out of the street at like 3 a.m. And this one night, it was like I, neither one of us could do the drive to drop her off. So she's like, oh, this cool. We'll stay at a friend's house. Cool. So we go to his house, and he doesn't answer the door. So we literally sleep. It's freezing outside. We literally sleep outside in the car, and we take turns waking up in the middle of the night to turn the car on to get a little bit of heat. And it's like, that is what it was more like than anything else. You know, Mm -hmm. it was those nights.
3: I think we're going to wrap up, but before we leave, I have to ask you a really, really important question.
1: Boom, here we go. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Get ready. If you had the power to ask... Donald Trump, any question and get an honest answer. What would it be?
1: And get an honest. And honest, like, like you, had a, know, you had a you had powers. About
3: that. You had powers, and he would have to tell you the absolute truth.
1: Well, if that's the case, if I had like you know Wonder Woman's lasso it'd be, like, name all the things that we need to know to get you out of here quick. Oh! <laughs> everybody, you know? Like, name them all, just say them. Like, tell us where all the bodies are buried, implicate everybody, please, just so we can, like, just start over. Pence, the whole chain of command, McConnell, like, tell it, just tell me everything. Ivanka. I, I yes. see what
3: you did there. You did the whole genie, I'm gonna wish for more more wishes <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love <laughs> it. Flipped it back. Yeah.
1: Give me everything. I want y'all all out of here. So,
0: we end every episode with a song of the week. Usually, one of us chooses it, but since you are a special guest, what is a song that means a lot to you that we should just end this episode on?
1: Freedom by Miss Knowles or Miss Carter. Yes. Yes.
0: And before we get to Freedom, I must say, you are currently on a book tour. So, people listening to this who are wowed by everything you just said can see you in person and hear you read from this book. If you're in the Bay Area, September 18th in San Francisco, September 19th in Petaluma, and you can buy tickets on com. Did I get boom, all that boom, right? Boom, boom. <laughs> boom,
1: yes, you got
2: it. That is yes. an excellent domain name, sir. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's funny. I'm trying to get org, and the people Ooh. are being so dramatic oh, yes. that I'm like, it's good. I got DeRay.com. I just, I'm good.
0: Like, I'll just get deRay.co.uk. Fine, because I have an (laughs) amazing British accent. International. No one wants that to me. Well, thanks so much for giving us your time today. Yes. We love you. Love you guys. (laughs) All right, Beyonce, take us away. This episode was edited by me, Emmanuel, with help from Ashley Ann Craigbaum.
2: All original music you heard in this episode is by Carolyn pennypacker Ricks.
3: And you know, we can't get out of here without thanking our podcast papa, David Marcus.
0: And a final thank you to DeRay McKesson, of course, because he was amazing. Of course. <laughs> and if you miss us between now and next week, you can mm-hmm. find us on social media. I'm at Excuse My Beauty on Twitter and Instagram.
2: I'm at Teacup in the Bay on all available platforms. And I'm Jamitra Says. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Tweet us. And leave us a review on iTunes. We read every single one. Make sure it's a love letter.
0: Bye.